Three, two, two, one. one. Let's, Let's go! go! All right, I am the host of the PB Podcast, Troy to the Wire, joined by, of course, the man, the myth-ish, the legend, Matt the Skip Scipion. What's up, man? Dude, we're doing it again, man. We're doing it again. We're back. This one's a little, and this yeah. one, yeah, this one was, this show was fantastic. Just pure, just on the fly interpretation. Well, not only on the fly. I mean, Alan, our, you know, grav mag wizard, uh, he, uh, he gave us, you know, some pre-interpretation. And then we just kind of sat down, man. And, and we went yeah. through this awesome data set. And, you know, we pulled out some very, very interesting things, I'd say. I would agree. I would agree. The conversations were uh, were enlightening and just the interpretation. It felt like back in the day, man, we would just kind of jump in the conference room and start just going into things. You know, you, the, yeah. the data is there. Right. And, and then the physical uh, responses that make us draw a line and say that's a fault or that's a liniment or that's whatever we think that is. And then you start really chewing on that and put a stress ellipse to it and get other people's opinions on it. And at the end of the day, we come up with, there might be some high productive zones that you can compartmentalize in this area. Yeah. I mean, we did that in an hour, man. I, it brought me back. Oh yeah, dude. Eh, such a throwback, just mobbing in the conference room and just looking <laughs> at data, man. And just, you know, going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until, you know, you're like that thing clicks. And uh, it kind of did today. I'd say, I'd say it clicked. Yeah. No, Alan, what'd you get from this, uh, this little adventure we got to go on? I, I like to see the feedback that I'm getting from other uh, people looking at things with fresh eyes. It helps to uh, kind of reinforce your interpretation and reinforce ideas that, uh, and, and give you, give you new ideas, what to be looking at when you're, uh, when you're trying to make sense of everything we're seeing. Stan? Final words. Let's drop down. Always good to be a fly on the wall here, but I really like fitting the whole stress strain story to this thing, right. which sort of clicked right at the end. There. Yeah. End of that figure there, which it usually does. Yeah, and then so, yeah, also we're looking at big time ancestral rocky deformation. Now, yeah. The question and then, is, yep, what does yep. that have to do with the emplacement of the hydrocarbons and all that stuff? Now, now, would a petrologist call this late stage diagenesis? Uh, well, now you're talking you're... sedimentary petrology. Um, <laughs> yeah. So basically, this is the, the degradation of the rocks after, uh, as a result of the ancestral Rockies. It's happening much more recently. Well, yeah, but um, I, I would say that pattern was formed in mid-Pennsylvanian time. Definitely. That structure. The water migration following that path. Right. Well, yeah, and then it's controlled things. Yeah. Subsequently, but yeah, the question is when were the hydrocarbons placed? Yeah. When did everything start migrating through those faults and you know developing one of the most productive areas in the basin for unconventionals, yeah. right? But it's just enough. We've seen other examples of ancestral rocky tectonics in here, so this is just another. Mm -hmm really important piece of that yeah well for me my favorite part of the show and to tie it into the conversation we had with uh dave david ensminger the other day yeah. was looking at you know these these shallow lineaments right and now you're actually really able to pull them apart and not only that like you're you can qc your your seismic data right over over some of these lineaments right so looking at, at that shallow mat or grav data all of a sudden it's like, oh, we have this massive grab blow here. Like what's going on? And it's, you know, then you can start QCing other things and it's like, oh, did we drill through that? Are we getting more water when we drilled through that? I, yeah, just the things that the value this adds is almost instantaneous, which is yeah. what I find fascinating. And also your knowledge base. Right. You know, also an interesting thing, uh, kind of a postscript here. Uh, I showed some of these lineaments to Mark Zoback from Stanford University, or formerly of Stanford University. And he has students working on NSAR in this area where they're looking at active substance. And they're actually seeing active substance along some of these trends. And just showing him that oh, data, right. the, the linear location of some of these got me an invitation to their uh, skits consortium meeting. 
Right on. That's yeah, you're, awesome. Yeah, this is kind of going into this whole idea how like the per the whole area of the Permian Basin is kind of like subsiding slowly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but well, there's also more recent stuff going on with dewatering, and uh, also I guess with this dissolution collapse, there's still I, I guess that stuff's still settling. Definitely, yeah, it's a very, be. very very dynamic <laughs> world we live in. Well, they're uh, pulling a lot of fluids out of that basin right now. Yeah. I would say the volume of total fluids that have been produced. I mean, a lot of drill holes in there. The, right. What's interesting is the fluid, you know, a lot of that gets reinjected. A lot of that's, you know, moving around and, and all that. But the gases, there's so much gas coming out of this that's, that has volume. And that's mm-hmm. not necessarily going back in. You know, if no, we, no. Can, that's, if we yeah. can re inject it as well. Oh, right. Right, so re-inject that with with the water, you know, just get it back in the system. Try to, you know, our our data was right on the edge of that magnitude five earthquake. Is that right? Right oh, on. Oh, that's so cool. Magnitude and you can see five. a linear trend of the swarm that followed a long wavelength linear trend we had in our data. Oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. <laughs> so even though the the orientation of the stress was actually in this orientation for sh max mm-hmm. the trend of the earthquakes was actually in this direction where you actually look at the at how they propagated uh, how they occurred over time the sure. swarm wow. and that was the orientation we saw our gravity uh anomaly oriented wow as did it led to the edge of the survey did they did they uh pinpoint how deep the epicenter was like was it i don't was recall it, was it, it in was a- deep Okay, I was going to say, because I know some of the earthquakes that they've been seeing have actually not even been in the basement. They've been more like within the sedimentary layer. Yeah. I mean, now, so, now off record, I'd have, if you can cut the mic, I guess. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, off the record, I mean, mo- well, most people in the industry know this, that these are from injection, uh, high oh, pressure yeah. injection. So oh, yeah. It's not fracking. It's not Mm-mm. taking fluids out. It's putting it back. Yeah. It's putting fluids and back in where they don't belong. Fluids into. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's how you make earthquakes. Yeah. Hey, how do you and lubricate a fault? You pump. Just lubricate you over- the deep sea. You pump as much water as you can into it, and eventually it'll give. <laughs> yeah. Now, over here, it's probably under a basin and range strain pan- uh, stress pattern. So hmm. the north south stuff would be the stuff most likely to like, well, depending. These guys are being right slip. This is a this is a northeast. You got to rotate yeah. that stress. There are some private companies who are uh, who have uh, seismograms out here or seismographs out here that are actively reporting that they're doing quite a bit better than TexNet is as far as having coverage, uh, just for the fact that they're actually paying. Did anybody do a uh, stress solution to that earthquake? I, I believe they did. Uh, they must have. Had something out there uh, not long after it happened, even though he's with the USGS now. Yeah, um, they, they must have done something because it'd be interesting. And, and actually, if you started compiling all the data in there, then you could get the regional stress strain pattern. Right. Modern day. But there were swarms that were further off to the west in Culberson County and uh, another one that was off to the east of the same trend. Um, and there were a couple of little pockets of uh, of these earthquakes that are associated with that event. Sure. Whoa, I didn't see that coming. You guys can see maybe potential liniments that are have a higher probability of slipping with recent or with future earthquakes versus low probability areas. Would you suggest that maybe? I'm not sure if I would suggest that, but we can at least get a better idea of the structural framework. Yeah. I was going to say that's, I think that is like the most valuable thing, right? Cause you know, not to throw it way back, but like the Northridge earthquake, right. That was a fault that people didn't even know existed. Right. right. But like when you have high res grav data, right. At least you can map that framework out. And like you said, it just, it's just like, Oh, this wasn't a surprise. We actually know exactly where that epicenter is. And we know exactly how it propagated as like those, as it, the earth was shaking. Just don't okay. say that in Italy. You might get taken to court. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. The lawyers be all over twisting. Oh, yeah. Any kind of oh, interpretation. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But, but definitely and as an Italian, too, they'd show no mercy on me. 
<laughs> there's definitely strengths in seeing the, the big picture, seeing your structural framework, getting an idea where your faults are. There are limitations. I mean, we can, uh, for example, if you have an idea where a fault is, you want to understand whether or not we can see it with FTG, we will build Ford models to determine what density contrast is typically present there and if it's going to produce a signature big enough for us to see it. This episode is brought to you by Bell Geospace. Bell Geospace has the gravity data that you need in the Permian Basin to see the structures below your reservoir, to see the structures in the reservoir and above. It's all connected. It all has a lot to say and a lot to do with how much oil, brine, or gas you're getting. You need the data to make better wells. You got to contact Julianne Sharples, jsharples at bellgeo.com or go to bellgeo.com. Check out their data. Check out what they're providing in their FTG, full tensor, gravity, gradiometry. The data is very high resolution. We did an exciting show, episode 91 with Bell Geospace, interpreting some of that data. Contact them today. Drill better wells. Let's go. So uh, here we are, PBE Podcast, uh, Troy Tittlemeyer, the host and co-host, Matt, the Skip Sippy on. We're about to dive into some grav, uh, gravity data. We got Alan Morgan from Bell Geospace. Sir, thank you for joining as we'll talk uh, specifically about your higher resolution gravity data at the end of this. We'll start with some interpretation of the publicly available stuff, what's important, what we're seeing. Uh, and then we have, of course, Stan Keith technical advisor and uh, chief technical officer, or, you know, I got to come up with some cool, like <laughs> name, you know, some ridiculous, like name. For Spocky and analog. On <laughs> uh, but you, you, you have used um, gravity and magnetics uh, for many, many years in the mining industry now applied to oil and gas and just your experience of interpreting gravity and magnetics and the data that we're about to see is is on a very very high level so that obviously is very valuable for us today so don't let me get too wild with some interpretations uh alan please introduce yourself uh real quickly for the, for the beginning of this show sure my name is alan morgan uh, i'm the lead geophysicist at bell geospace i've been with uh, bell for just over five years and uh my interpretation portfolio has taken me pretty much all over the globe with the exception of Antarctica. So uh, we have uh, recently acquired some data out in West Texas in the Delaware Basin, and it is one of the highest resolution data that I've interpreted in my career. Is that right? Highest interpretation or highest resolution onshore data? Yes, one of these surveys that we acquired out here, we tested uh, 50 meter line spacing. 50 wow. meter line space. That means you're in the, the pilot with the washing machine size gravitometer or gradiometer. <laughs> <laughs> He's flying as close as he can to the surface and as tight as he can, as he's kind of mowing the grass in the air, going line That's by right. line. I was on the plane when they were doing a few of these lines, and it was amazing how how skilled these pilots are on maintaining a proper uh, path. Any sketchy moments? Because I'm always like, it doesn't matter at any point in the airplane. If I'm sitting in that stupid chair, I'm like, all right, this is it. I, something's happening. <laughs> For health and safety, I didn't see anything that would be considered sketchy, but you can see some sketchy things happening on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> There are okay. a couple of uh, jackrabbits giving us an eye. You can see the javelinas running off. And every once in a while, yeah. because it's so flat out there, if something catches on fire, a brush fire or whatever, you see it. So, Oh, yeah, immediately. Uh, you've got the bird's eye view. Whoa. Okay. Um, so we have the map pulled up. And uh, for geologic reference of just kind of how we know the basin – is putting itself together. There's georeference, the kind mm -hmm. of the idea of the, the central basin platform outline, which is going to be kind of reference to the east side of the chute or the east side of the Delaware Basin. West side, we're talking maybe Diablo platform or certainly that kind of idea where the, the Delaware Basin is just shallowing upward pretty drastically. 
Uh, we think there's there's definitely a laramide influence of all that and why the, the shape of the basin shallows to the west kind of so smoothly um, it, from basin to shelf on the west. And then the northern part, obviously the, uh, the heart of the Permian or the heart of the Delaware Basin, where the horizontal players are really going deep and, uh, and bringing a lot of oil and gas from. And then the northwest shelf. And just for record, uh, PBE has gone out there and said, this could be a giant mud volcano. We did a special on that. We had a a live show. Uh, We talk about how gravity and magnetics is 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 kind of showing us signatures of deep rocks. This is below sedimentary rocks generally as as we see it. Um, Which one one is that? This is just uh, gravity right here. Yeah, gravity, straight gravity, straight gravity. So uh, anyway, we always come with it with a, a, a new perspective or some a new way to think about this. Uh, we don't think the basin just filled itself over time and then sunk magically and got cooked and all the oil and gas is there. Like that's a cool story and, and it's there and there's a lot of data behind that. But there's also another cool story in that gravity low, which is also seen in other parts of the world that have world class resources over the top of could be a signature of a serpentinite diaprium, rock serpentinite, uh, and the, the process of serpentinization, which leads to a lot of oil and gas generation. So for us, it's no, it, it makes sense why maybe a world-class reservoir is here in the Permian Basin from this perspective. Uh, and so we'll, we come at it from that angle, uh, not to throw it completely off and, uh, and to, to challenge or to bring up different ways of thinking about this. But Alan, a question to you to start this podcast. When you see gravity data like this, I I really want to know, like, where do you begin? What do you start? Where do you start? And kind of how do you start interpreting gravity data just in general when you're looking at a map like this? Well, the first thing I want to do is I want to understand the depositional system, what's taking place, what types of sediments are being deposited, because that's going to help you understand is your high or low defining the basin. And I've actually run across a couple basins that were defined by gravity highs. It's not that often, but it, it, it happens. Uh, Kenya Block 1, for example, was a basin that had the dominant carbonate buildup and it, I mean, or carbonate deposition within the basin. And it was a gravity high, but the magnetics actually showed the bowl-shaped basin and you can actually pick the uh, solutions beneath the carbonates. Wow. Uh, so I want to understand that the high is coming where it's coming from. Uh, most, 98% of my career, I've been seeing gravity minima that are actually occupying the deepest parts of the basin. And uh, this appears to be uh, one such basin. So I'd, I'd like to see the big picture. What is, uh, what is the cause? Why do we have gravity lows in the basin? Is it uh, because of uh, low density infill, uh, deeper sedimentary uh, 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 thickness? or a, a higher sedimentary thickness, is that uh, where our gravity minima is coming from? Once we've defined this, then we start to look at what are the sources of density contrast other than just the basin. Uh, when we look at the basin, that's our largest, uh, longest wavelength target. And uh, how do those anomalies change when you increase your resolution? So when you're looking at the bigger scale, you see a big uh, set of closed contours that wrap around the Delaware Basin. It's uh, the center of mass deficit is typically the depot center. So starting from that, then we would uh, look at what can the higher resolution data bring to the picture. Uh, and you were pointing out that the edge of the Diablo platform to the Southwest. Yeah. The, if you actually draw a profile across that, it's just going to be almost with this data set, it's just going to be a single slope with a, maybe a couple bumps here and there. Uh, but the images that we see coming from the area, we, uh, we see a lot more texture. We see a, a fabric that is not only from uh, faults, but it's also from dissolution, from uh, weathering. Uh, there are many sources of density contrast that we're picking up with our instrument. And it's my job to basically uh, figure out where they're coming from. Can, can you give us a little snapshot of any of that or is it all confidence? Uh, well, one of those, for example, that uh, gravity minima that I shared with you in my slide deck. Yeah, for comes the, right here. That's very close to that. And there's actually a series. Uh, it's, um, not this one, but the um, 
That's actually to the, the, that to the northeast of it. If we go to the uh, the, the co-authored paper with Slumberjay, uh, this one, this is looking at the Grisham faults. And if you go down to the images, so, uh, so. this is the raw data, or the, if we go to the next, and the ne next one here, uh, these linear features that are uh, the, the dark blue in the left image, uh, if they're actually parallel to the um, to the Diablo platform. Oh, so roughly, where would that be uh, on that more regional map? Uh, where the red changes to green, right, very close to that area there. Yeah, where that cursor is. Yeah. Yes, and that's. But the the Slumberjay okay. work, the Slumberjay work is uh, this is this is really close to surface anomaly, isn't it? It is, but you know what? With seismic processing, the, uh, if they don't get a good grasp of the velocity model in the near surface, all of those are going to be pushed down, mm -hmm. and that's mm -hmm. what actually happened. If you look at the, uh, I believe there's a seismic image in this one. Uh, if you go, not this one. If you keep going up, this one here. You can see as they, uh, the, these features, uh, those linear trends are actually being pushed down, and that's at uh, quite 11,200 feet below sea level. So you, uh, if these reflect, if, if the source of the velocity is not put in its proper place, it's going to push down into the seismic section until it's basically uh, blends in with the rest of the background. Um, or what we're able to do with our gravity data is to account for where these velocity changes are. So for example, using Gardner's relationship, we saw that very large gravity minima um, and a very large gravity maxima just next to each other. Um, mm -hmm. If we were to apply what is necessary to fit the gravity field through density, we can take that density calculation and convert it to velocity using Gardner's equation. And it's actually a couple thousand meters per second difference between uh, uh, what's filling in the gravity minima and what's at, on the flanks to the outside. So you can imagine a couple hundred meters to 500 meters of low velocity material that's all being treated the same by the seismic processor. You're going to get some significant pushdowns over those blue areas. So where would that strong gravity minima be in that seismic section? It's actually not shown because it was in the top 500 to a kilometer, uh, yeah. 500 meters to a kilometer. Okay, so you're way down. Yes, there are some deeper features, though. You can actually see this feature that's cutting across, that dark feature from the tall window variance. Yeah. That is a, a deep feature, but, but these uh, little smiley faces, those are pushdowns, the, the things that you see in the seismic section, those are pushdowns that are resulting from these gravity flows uh, uh, that are at, were, at, were not uh, properly accounted for in, in the time, uh, depth of time migration, time to death migration. So the, the syncline is a process in there. Yeah. And so and like, yeah. there have been many cases where people have actually drilled on features that they thought were real seismically, but it turned out it was a processing artifact. And I can see that, right? When you have like that massive, you know, heterogeneity in that, you know, in that upper section, right? Like you said, like mm -hmm. the seismic processor is just going to treat that all the same, right? It's like, oh, it's salt and hydrogen. Four kilometers a second, dense. all the way through, or three kilometers a second, whatever they process. Yeah, the, yeah. The whatever surface. it is. Yeah. Then all of a sudden you're going to, yeah, you get that push down and you're like, hey, this data is great. And then you drill a well and it's like, well, we didn't hit what we And what you know what? It, it might tag uh, eight out of 10 wells might be within a few hundred feet and, they're, and they, that's acceptable to them. But yep. when something like this interrupts their survey area, <laughs> yeah. they need to know what's there. Yeah, especially, right, like when they're in that exploitation phase, like this is something mm -hmm. that they need to be like keeping in mind. Hey, we're going to be putting, you know, like we talked with uh, David Ensmeager the other day, that we're going to be putting over 100 wells in the ground in like the next two years. Like you want that data to be as trustworthy as it can be. And another thing to consider is why is that feature there? How did it get there? And why is it important to the drillers? Because they're doing a lot of horizontal drilling here. And, and yeah. when they were actually drilling underneath these features, they were getting ex excess water. Why? Because their faults feeding this water into the evaporites that cause them to collapse. 
So it's a, a somewhat of a cause and effect. This groundwater is migrating its way upward, and once it reaches the evaporites, it dissolves what it can and then becomes uh, hypersaline until more water can take its place. And, and basically, as it, it, it dissolves and is carried away through the ground, uh, groundwater um, migration, uh, the material fills in over top of it, and that's what's creating this gravity anomaly, the gravity anomaly minima. And it's not, it's, it, it's a beautiful cycle because, uh, I mean, we're, we're seeing the end result of a geologic and hydrologic process. And we're, we're uh, reminded of its importance when people are drilling across it to see that, yeah, this is their excess water. So it, it's, it's that piece of the puzzle that we see at the end of the day. Uh, we can solve the mass deficit and we can tell why it's there because the, the water is, is actually um, come up through faults from below the Bell Canyon and uh, uh, dissolved the right. evaporites. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it certainly looks like there's a big regional west-northwest structure that coincides with that detailed gravity texture that you call. Yep. Texas shear zone. Well, yeah. Right. That's yeah. what that is. So the Grisham fault is south. also, uh, it follows. Well, no, that this is a little trend. north. That, yeah, right up yeah. in there. That's so we're very something. close to the Grisham fault where our data is. Right. The Grisham comes right off that thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. So a couple of things and hopes that we can, uh, I, I want to take the, uh, what you were just kind of referring to or uh, alluding to, which is like when you're in an area, you got well data, you got the petrophysics, maybe you got some seismic and you have gravity like this, combining it all to try to make sense of your target or of, of drilling hazards. I want to get there. But first, I just want to simply think about this map and what we're actually looking at. The high gravity basically means that the earth has a like a, a stronger pull on on the uh the gravity the gradiometry machine here and here it's the, the, the gravity has less of like an energy pull on that machine is is that generally what we're talking about yes well so, so, so basically I would, yeah i would weigh less if i stood in the center of this on a scale if I stood on the center of this on a scale, I would I would weigh slightly less. The, the, the earth is pulling my mass slightly less here than it is over here. You'd weigh uh, maybe a microgram less, but it, with a very sensitive <laughs> yeah. scale. It would <laughs> Troy, I know Midland is on almost would, on a gravity be, high, but you can't use that as an excuse. Your assumption would be correct. Yeah, <laughs> Damn it. I was hoping to get to like under 200, maybe if I stood up yeah. here. If I, if I go, if I no, go, this middle, is not like West you're Lavin. on the moon versus the earth. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Okay. But, um, the data, so the, the, the gr gradiometry machine is looking at the, the surface to some depth of the basement. And it's, it's taking all of that rock in and coming up with a, a number over that area. Or how do you how do you actually depth slice and kind of figure out that what the gravity is doing near surface versus like at depth? How does that how does the science well, the relationship between near surface and depth? It, it's it's a non unique solution. However, some things are less unique. Uh, for example, the frequency content. When you look at high frequency content such as something you see bumps that are occurring regularly over uh, four or 500 meters, uh, you can't produce that signal from extreme depth. So the short wavelength or high frequency uh, features are definitely coming from the near surface. Whereas the broad long wavelength features can come from the near surface, but most oftenly are broad and regional. And, and at, at great depth. So in this particular map here, then we're, we're looking at potentially uh, deep seated features in the uh, gravity. Possibly, but you need to consider what is the shape of a basin? Yeah. It's usually lenticular. And if you're, for example, if we have a lenticular body at the, at the surface, it can produce a long wavelength gravity minimum. 
But so, this could but be a deep-seated feature too. It could be a, a combination, yes. So for example, we have two approaches in interpretation. One is a top-down approach where you look at it, that seismic is often top-down. They answer to the top before they go to the next deeper layer and to, to figure out what it is. And in gravity, we often look, work from the bottom up, but there's often a combination approach that gets closer to the, to the right answer. And that's uh, through integration. So for example, we can quantify what the velocities are where we can, where there's good data in the near surface and peg those to good density values. And from that, you could get to your answer. Is, is there really something low density in the crust in this area? Like where you were talking about your serpentinized or your altered serpentinized uh, uh, material. So that the top down, bottom up approach, integrating seismic data plus gravity data, you can get closer to your answer to finding out not only what are the characteristics of the near surface, but also uh, deeper crustal features as well. So it's interesting. We were just talking about how in using seismic data, we weren't talking about gravity, but we were talking about how a deep-seated fault, a deep-seated disruption in basement in Ellenberger, you know, the deep stuff that's happening in the Permian Basin is clearly disrupted and then it truncates and kind of doesn't have a clear offset by the time you get into the top Pennsylvanian and in the Permian, you don't see it. But then what you see in like that Ochoan Guadalupean boundary, or what you were talking about earlier, the Delaware Mountain Group and the Bell Canyon, all that stuff, when it goes into the salts and anhydrites, these liniments show up. And they were if it's carrying was, water, if uh -huh. it's carrying water up those faults. Uh, yes, and, and, and there was he, the, the presentation yesterday was clearly he had the water data. He had the chemistry of wells on this side and the wells on that side and how it was changing and, and you know, implications of doing that. So in gravity data, when mixed with seismic data, what are you seeing like most beneficially in combining those data sets when you when you have that opportunity to do so? Is it uh, go ahead. The best examples that I can give are, are where you have good data in seismic and good gravity data, and then you run out of seismic data, we can help continue that interpretation away from the existing seismic. So for example, we can establish a relationship between the velocity and density. And then all of a sudden we, our seismic data ends and you see the bottom drop out. Is that another basin? Is that a basement of lower density? We, we want to answer those questions, and that's what we can do through integration. We can uh, take the data, uh, constrain it where with well data, seismic data, velocity, tomography, uh, everything that we can throw at it that basically is correlating to a relationship with velocity and density, we, we put into our interpretation efforts to understand what is going on and carry that interpretation away where we don't have as good data. Or yeah. where the data within the seismic is less than ideal, it's less than interpretable. That's what we were talking about. He had a, a fault, a yucca fault, deep sea default. And he's like, I, I asked him, I said, does that keep going or does it truncate like that? He's like, well, we just ran out of seismic. Data. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so this potential feature that's driving a, a fluid dynamic in the system that these producers are having to deal with, it can be chased along in both directions using the high-res graph. And it was over this same area um, that you have this data in. So um, how do you take gravity data and, and uh, what you do and start uh, making sense of, of deep-seated faults? How do you interpret that? Or do you want to dive into one of your interpretations maybe and, and go from there? Well, with fault interpretations, it, it's often about how much density contrast there is. And for us to determine that, we'll need to usually build models. Uh, we need to understand what the, the density is on each side of the fault uh, and how much of an offset there is. So for example, if you have a deep fault with a kilometer uh, throw, it, it, the, the foot wall side is around 2.6, the hanging wall side is around 2.5, we can quantify how much uh, uh, how much of a signal that will produce. We'll forward model it and see if it matches our, our data that we've observed from our instruments. Um, and early in my career, uh, we, I was working a basin in South America with radiometry where there was a buried rift. Uh, we had well data that constrained the densities for the post-rift and pre-rift sediments. 
And we could see where there was an indication of a fault. We knew where the rift shoulder was and the gravity data was seeing the bottom drop out. So we, uh, there were arguments early on with gradiometry that it shouldn't be seeing these things at depth. And this was three kilometers plus depth in the south province of Argentina. Uh, but what we can do, we can if we can tag and constrain what the shallow density is, we can make an estimate of how deep that fault goes further in de with depth. Uh, that's basically what we would use to try to quantify uh, a solution of what is the basin shape or what is the fault geometry. Yeah, I mean, even taking a small example, we know we're generally somewhere over here between the publicly available gravity data and something that you guys have come up with. I mean, look, the, the texture's just, it's not even comparable. Right. So I mean, I mean like we were talking about before. Yeah, but there's at, a big uh, gradient in that you can infer the overall fault zone from that big picture. Mm -hmm. But then that's the gory detail, right? right. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the shallow part of it. We, we can actually do frequency slicing as well to attenuate the, uh, what we see from the shallower signal. If you look at this next slide, that uh, I can see number 13 there. Slide one more down. Yes. This one, is, for example, you can see a lot of this near surface uh, speckling uh, and we can see the traces of the faults uh, that are interpreted in the red and the blue. We, we can see how that uh, when, when we actually do it, for example, an upward continuation, it uh, makes the data more coherent with the, uh, the deeper features. So we can see, off, for example, this red dashed line, you can see that there's actually offset if, as you continue further down to the southwest. If you start yeah, at but the then, wouldn't that red dashed line be an obvious fault? Oh, yeah. You, yeah it is. But if you actually go to the southwest start at the middle of it and go down, you can right. see uh, yeah. it where this blue feature looks like it's, it's uh, offset a little bit. Mm -hmm. Right. Have, yeah, that's, that's interesting. So left. you... So you're you're Wait, also down. not so by using this near surface uh, attenuation, like you're you have the capabilities of identifying lateral offset within these lineaments as well. Yes. Right. So you can correlate that deep to the surface, you know, bump up that you know continuation, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, we do have lateral offset on this feature. There's still continued movement, and that probably means it's filled with fluids or something. Right. Yeah. So we actually were able to interpret more faults in this particular area than were basically in the public domain published mm -hmm. in this area. An extension, actually, uh, two separate paths of the, um, the Grisham Fault, particularly in this area, uh, and also an extension to the southwest that con continues near from the dashed line to the word low on this, if you look at the, the right image. So is the blue That's line awesome. your interpretation of the Grisham Fault? This is a, the northern path of the Grisham Fault. And then there's a southern path that's by the red dash line. I think if we look at the summary slide at the end of this deck, it, it goes through uh, this one right here. So we can see the northern trace and then the southern trace. And we can see those offsets and the oh, truncations yeah. that are actually reported against it. So that the, the red and the blue are the published locations of those faults. Mm -hmm. And the yellow is what we interpreted from our gradiometry. You're Grab mag location is right over the top of the Grisham Fault. What he's looking at. Yeah, the amount, the just the amount of complexity you're able to pull out from just you know, like a first look at this data set is is incredible, right? Compared to like you said, what what's in the public domain? It's like yeah, you just see, in in the public you just see two straight lines, and it's just like oh okay, like. That's it. And it's like, no, it's so much more than that. The image that we're looking at here is actually a ternary image. This has been used in mining when you're looking at the uh, uh, radiometrics, uh, looking at different components from different uh, sources. And with gradiometry, we divided up the total horizontal gradient, the total horizontal curvature, and the, uh, the vertical gradient. So those are all three shown simultaneously, and you can see a fabric and a texture that it, 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 it can, it, it's divided up between each of these areas. And you can see the, the clear areas where, uh, where something is going on that it, it's following these fault trends.
the A to A prime cross section is uh, is in this that's presentation. In this presentation. Yes, that's in this presentation. So let me wrap my down. So that's where actually two of the seismic faults converge. And the red line is based off of Hassler 2009. His uh, thesis shows uh, he mapped a, a southern extent of the Grisham Fault in this area, or a southern trace. Is that like a big tension thing? Why would it well, there's definitely some strike slip on it. I mean, it yeah, no, there's, there's, a, there's tons of lateral movement. I mean, it's, it's the southern end of that, right? That's where everything gets gassy. Everything to the north of it is oily. Of the northeaster there, yeah. Yeah. So what's AA prime look like? Oh, there it is. This is a potential field model of the same thing. The Grisham cracking right into the basement. Yeah, this is. Now, this is from public uh, domain. Orange's basement. Yeah. This is from what you said, Alan? This is from published and public domain data. So it's it's not as detailed as you would see if you're uh, operating this block and have the best, latest and greatest seismic. But it's good enough to explain the uh, source of the gravity gradiometry, what we're, where we're seeing the anomalies coming from. Can you, Troy, can you go back to that other, uh, the summary page real quick? Yeah, this is like, it, it reminds me of uh, just like that, like when you're talking from a plate motion sense, like that rhombohedral, like topographic uplift, right? Because that southern end of the fault is is uplifted, right? Just kind of like in that area where you have like those north, east, southwest uh, yellow lines. Oh, what's going on? I'm just I'm trying to turn. This yeah, be careful. Down. That's going to play my uh, pre-recorded presentation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could. Every time I turn it, I could hear it turn on, and it's distracting as hell. Can you delete that thing or mute it? You can if you want to. I mean, I've got this saved on my machine. Nice. Or just yeah, there, bang. Okay. Found just off. delete it. Yeah. Bang bang. Okay, so say it again, Skips. We're looking at a. Uh, so it it almost because it's I I've it's interpreted right that it's right lateral motion on the uh, Grisham. So right lateral slip. And it reminds well, me. Well, there uh, I see some left lateral, you know, where he says there is. I'm, I'm, well, I'm inferring that with the, uh, the yellow lines, right? Cause if in between, like, it's, it's almost like a, a restraining bend at like, and then you have like a step over, right? That's, that's almost kind of what I'm seeing here. Yeah, that's right. That, that, but yeah, on that's, the other northeaster. So yeah, the the yeah the ones that go primarily west east, right? I'm I'm thinking that's right slip, but yeah, it looks like those those more. It's just it looks like a step over, like a rhombohedral like step over structure yeah. that you'd see like in big picture plate tectonics. It's it's crazy. That's rowdy. That is that is awesome. Okay, so you should see the rest of the data. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, right. I'm just yeah, I'm just trying to wrap my mind around all this because I mean just at a first look. Well, so how much coverage have you got with this kind of resolution? That whole large polygon is the same resolution. I mean, so basically almost to the New Mexico state line. So it's just about to the edge of the Culberson County line there, and it goes mm -hmm. east to the three county area over the Pecos River. Uh, it, it stops shy mm -hmm. of a B there, a letter B on this particular figure. And it, it doesn't go quite as south as Vegas. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So oh, it's a north-south rectangle. Okay. Right on. And this was acquired in, in 2018. To the north. Yeah. Pretty cool. All right, so the downthrown side of the Grisham is obviously yeah. uh, in results. It's throwing me off. I, I know in literature it says left lateral strike slip, but it's like that looks like a side, duplex structure. Structurally, like, that's what that reminds me of. Showing a lot more. Why? Yeah. 
but yeah, that, oh gosh. Well, you're kind of interpreting it from a cross section point. <laughs> my interpretation is based off of the offset of these uh, red features into this. Yeah. The yeah. That's what's throwing me is I see yeah, the, the red features and I'm like, oh, that's left. Yeah. And then I see the overall structure and I'm like, oh, that looks right. Like, uh, that's super cool though. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And this dissolution for it to be offset. Right? I mean, I mean that, talk about the faults. Rinville. Either the faults feeding it were offset, or yeah, the structure not that in happened this time to, to separate it. But I think it's the faults feeding it were offset. And that high is actually—I mean—that gravity minima is actually behind it, so it's behind the fault. So that—that that where the letter A is. Looking at Rocky. Uh, that this. Where am I? Yeah, this one. That red that you see there is the gravity minima. Okay. And there's another red that's right below the line. It's this one right here. So you, you got this striping that's going across. Each of these are a dissolution collapse gravity yeah. within the top 500 ah. meters to a kilometer. Well, in this particular image, I had the color, color bars flipped to make it more appealing. But uh, in, in the vertical gravity, when you see the TZZ. Well, aren't the blues gravity minimal? On, on this particular image, I did. So you flip the color palette on this. Yes. Yeah. It just seemed to work better this and this to actually uh, so those are great, bring out those uh, linear trends. It, it just didn't seem to work as well whenever they were blue. Mm -hmm. For the ternary imaging, that works, but for up and down grids, when we're just looking at comparing a high versus low, it's uh, yeah. We keep it traditionally uh, red and blue. Blue is yeah, low. Just high, red is high. Just visualizing it. That's a good idea. I mean, a good question. Uh, Jens, you think? Jens Lund Snee, uh, his most recent paper puts what do you some think parallel the, uh, the current to the uh, stresses are uh, right the now platform in this area. orientation in this particular. Or northwest and southeast. Uh, that's SH max, I believe, it is northwest. As far southeast. as the convert, is that tension or converging? You're going from northeast to southwest, shortening. Okay. So where's tension? If, if northwest southeast is assumed to be converging. Well, it depends on whether you want to resolve it in a transform way or a reverse, how you want to. But first of all, you, I always like to establish where the regional shortening axis is. We're going to assume it's northwest, southeast. Yeah, I'm not so sure I see that. It's really interesting when you compare these to a strain ellipsoid on how close they actually come. Well, I was thinking the yellow lines might be some kind of tensor. I would put uh, the egg, the, yeah. the, the apex of the egg would be the northwest to southeast. How would you orient the strain um, ellipse to this? I actually have a PowerPoint where I've got a strain ellipse within it, but it's not this particular one. I usually will use that in my interpretation workflow and just rotate it around uh, to see what, what orientations it lines up with. So, like this, whereas uh, this is your orientation of normal faults. Right. And then, uh, put, yeah, this way. your readle shear yeah, is, uh, I mean, you have two yeah, directions of readle shear, the case, then which uh, will produce an X over that. Yeah, so, so that's the case. This is your orientation of your uh, strain ellipsoid with uh, your normal faults Do being oriented northwest to southeast. Do it again. Sorry, I, I, did, I wasn't able to see you when you were at uh, we two go. angles. Uh, Intersecting, that, that's his uh, strain ellipse. Shortening, uh, shortening is in. Uh, wait a minute, squeezing this way. So you want Actually, regional shortening uh, to be northwest southeast. You're right. I have that mixed up. Uh, 
I'm, that, that, like that. That's squeezing. So yeah. actually, you're, it would be this way. Normal faults and disorientations. This is their direction. Of, according to a, a strain ellipsoid, that's uh, that's the orientation it, it so you, you would put uh, that yellow line them. in reverse slip. This let one? me pop up, yeah. bring up something real quick, see if I can find the. Uh... So yeah, so the shortening axis let me is find perpendicular to that yellow line. Do it. Let's do it. I'm going to have you share screen. No, no. If he's doing that, that's the South America, North America. Putting the, the shortening axis. Yeah, that would be. I know, dude. Too. Like this is confusing me. Like that's arguably. It's like arguably you see like N echelon folding and like these, like tension gashes and oh god, it's the yeah the orientation is throwing me on this. Well, like what that is, if if that's correct, then you, then you're looking at reverse slip on the yellow stuff. Yeah, I think it is reverse, right? Because yeah. that would be your high. That'd be your high pressure, right? Yeah. So to the south, right, you would have gas, which they do. Yeah. They so if you look at his gas. cross section, but yeah. his cross section shows a, a normal slip fault there. I I think that's just the card. I I've it, it's overturned. I've I know that, or it's uh it's definitely reverse because I've seen lines over well the, the drag that they have on yeah. the uh southern yeah, block uh, is reverse drag all right i've yeah. got a slide ready but if that's the case um wait southern block wait go back go wait, 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 wait. rocket back hey southern block's right. here northern that's, block here yeah 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 a a prime yeah okay yeah that's right that. you guys ready to see a slide yeah yeah we look at pretension, Stan. That's it. Simple. Here is my uh yes. Here we go. Yes. Oh, I'm stoked. <laughs> Pretty close, right? All right, let me see. Is that a strain ellipse or a stress ellipse? Shoot, this is for uh I've always called it a That's strain. A stress ellipse. ellipse. That's a stress, stress, yeah. Okay, stress. Yeah. So if we have. You would orient it like that. Yeah. Sick. Now, if we consider this being a normal fault in this orientation, which, uh, if we're looking at the Grisham, well, and then you'd have to uh, you'd have to flip it all the way around so you've got sigma three going. Sigma three going which direction? Keep going, keep Northwest, going, keep going. If you say that's a normal fault, sigma three is going right north. Yeah. Oh, you had it right there, or how close? If you say that's a normal fault, then right that's there. right there. Yeah. That's actually pretty close for that specific location. I mean, it, it's oriented. I mean, you've got normal faults. Yeah, and the right slip is is right. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, the big mean, slip that he's showing there is left slip. It's left slip. That's the thing. I've been looking at. Uh, you're coming up this line, and it goes right. Mm -hmm. That's that's doing it right. That, yeah, but that that, the, the predicted slip is left based on the orientation of the. What's going left? Which? Um, anyone? Okay, see where he's got the uh, left slip on the fault going through there. That guy, this guy, yeah. So you're taking that and going left that way. Yeah. Okay, I was taking it the opposite. I was going right because of this one. But basically, that's most. Yeah. And then he's got his, then the main fault element there is a, a normal slip fault, the yellow, the northeastern. Now, if but, you but accept that, that, that would, but it, that, that would make sense too, in like the sense of like, you know, like a 
like a trans rotational system, like the Jan Dorbeck. Yeah, like yeah, this model. would be a yeah. transpressional system, but the yeah. point is that that stress field, the way he's got it, is consistent with the well. Oh, cool. That's probably right. There. And or uh, the shortening axis of the Rocky Mountain and, you know, ancestral rocks. I, I think that's that's definitely most likely the and i would be tempted to go there i i don't see yeah. well because i mean this all might slare might overprint here but i'm still yeah so you're saying rocky you're you're saying ancestral ancestral rockies rock. yeah yeah that's that's the ancestral rockies right yeah and that and that makes sense too because that's like preset for like continued movement on like the marathon of Wachita, right? Because that's yeah. just gonna accentuate like all the movement that's occurred already. Yeah, like, that would be mid pen, and then yeah. the assembly event would occur in the late term. That's when yeah. South America decides to blast it. High productive oil zones are gonna be on the hanging wall of these vaults. Yeah, well, that we. we so basically, the when he had the ellipse oriented about right angles to that, that was the South America collision. Okay. This is ancestral Rocky, okay. but just looking at the way that strain ellipse is fitting, uh, that's a pretty good fit, right there. Right. Yeah, that's so a great your, fit. Your tension. You wouldn't have seen this with just normal gravity. Mm -mm. No, because no. you you don't have that. Yeah, you don't have the data to put it all together. No, there's nowhere near that. This yeah, kind yeah. of resolution. Yeah, you you can make any kind of prediction like this with just that public gravity. However, you right. could take that or huge west-northwest thing and just assume left slip on it and come up with this. Yeah. The, the point also is that even if you went and put a station every 100 meters on the ground, you still wouldn't get this out of the data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that. No, I mean, yeah. there's that's me a that, high res. Package. Yeah, give me that gradiometry. <laughs> Tell uh, me. Have you guys taken uh, this and and correlate it to uh, to actual production and horizontal wells that are compartmentalized by these features that you're picking up on and seeing where Slumberjay has Slumberjay has done that, and they actually they before we actually did this work, they were talking about these areas where the, these collapse grabbings were, where they were getting at higher water cuts. So, so the so those northeasters um, have the high water cuts. Yes. Yellow. The uh, the reds in this particular image, uh, the the linear transit followed the Diablo platform. Oh, the northwesters. Yeah. Yes. Okay, those have high water cuts. Water cuts. How about the yellow? Going just off yellow uh, faults that are here. From FTG, the Northeasters, have they done anything correlating high production versus low production on those features? Unfortunately, I don't. The only production information I was privy to was uh, very locate, uh, restricted to locating along these uh, collapse grabbings. So I, I don't have enough information to answer that question. Okay. We have production data, we have access to it through our friends at TGF. We can map it. Maybe there's collaboration in the future. Uh, we can get uh, Slumberjay on board since they shared this with us. Yeah, because the prediction, if I'm following your structural analyses and uh, haven't drinking too much whiskey yet, I would say, venture to say, horizontal wells that are within those northeast yellow faults. Yeah, that's potential tensile zone targets. That's going to be high production. You're going to have your best wells right up against those things, on Maybe. the on the the fault downside on the on the hanging wall side. Yeah, that's a nice fit of that strain ellipse. Check it. Oh, you should see. I mean, this isn't the only basin in the world where it's given quite beautiful results. Well, I like the fact that you you uh, keep that uh, stress ellipse in your back pocket yeah, so you does. can 
Got it transparent. <laughs> yeah. So you can throw yeah, it. Like, like, well, you guys want to see what's going on and then just, yeah, bump up the opacity and show them. Ah, <laughs> uh, man. Alan, thank you for joining. Thank you for the opportunity to look at this data. You're welcome. Um, how, what's the best way, the easiest way, the most efficient way for people to contact Bell Geospace that is in this area and want to start working with you guys on, uh, on maybe cropping some of this out and helping them map some of these, uh, these faults and features that are going to drive them to high productive zones? How do they contact you? They, they just send me a direct message through either LinkedIn or my email, amorgan at bellgeo.com. Okay. Julianne Sharples as well? As well. She's an excellent resource. LinkedIn, email, and website, bellgeo.com. Correct. Okay. Yeah. any final words? Thank you for having me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think we're going to do for this. Thanks for coming again. on. Yeah. Can, can yeah, you send awesome. me that transparency of that stress ellipse? <laughs> oh, he wants yeah. <laughs> Sure. Classic stand. Well, yeah. I mean, it'd be nice stand. to have that thing sitting in my back pocket because I'm. I'm always doing all this in my head, but that's a nice way. To <laughs> yeah. It's nice it to visualize stuff. things. Yeah. All right. I think he said yes. Sure. I'll send it to you. <laughs> yeah. That'll right on, Alan. Big uh, well, again, thank you, sir. And uh, I really, really enjoyed it. I, I have a feeling we are going to continue this kind of relationship and, and keep doing dives into uh into the data and uh, and try to pull out you know what really matters and at the end of the day for operators it's either mitigating risk and shallow drilling hazards and things like that or how do we find high productive zones you know where are we going to go with our well bores based on this information um, uh, it's fascinating time right now for people that have the money and and the guts to keep going after this it's it's cool one final thing I'd like to say about this is that Working with, with different companies, you get to see all these different data sets. I'd like to see this data set to go to someone who has it all, to have them all working together with a very beautiful 3D seismic data set, rather than it just sitting on our shelves where it's not doing as much. It can yeah. do so much more in, in someone's shop to, yeah. to help them answer these questions. Yeah, yeah. And integrate all that data, that well data, that high-res seismic, you know, like you said, everything put together and you could really really start figuring out this story right wow right on skips thanks for joining and your structural analyses dude my brain's just melting right now <laughs> fantastic alan thank you for joining the show sir yeah. you're welcome you want to look at some rocks now oh yeah if you're hey, willing to pull get, them get, out, get sure. your favorite rock hey, out of there let's look at it okay favorite rock I was going to say, we should just do a show, like a full show. Turn this into a yeah. full show right now? No, no not I, right now, but yeah. yeah. So let's see this. Oh, God, I'm looking at Oh, I know who that is. That's a Kichasaurus. No, it sure is. Kichasaurus. What's in a Kichasaurus? It's that, that lizard-like thing. That's well, they, they, the MMR, Mesozoic Marine Reptile. I think it's Lower Triassic. Yeah, that's China. It's coming yes. to China. So yeah, this is one of my, this would be one of my favorites. That's a great rock. Or fossil, definitely my favorite fossil. Yeah, I've got a couple of those too. Oh yeah, yeah. And it sits right next to my bedstand, and every time I get out of bed, I, there's a Kichasaurus staring at me. Wait, I missed I missed everything. Uh, I tried to. Because I'm recording on my phone, so I wanted to pick it up so I can get a closer look, and I just totally yeah. messed up the setup. I'll bring it back. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Kichasaurus. So let me get it uh, squared away oh, here. That's so camera. cool. Yeah. Oh, that's a great piece. You know, I got to see so many of those over the years that uh, I was suspicious that some of these were fake. I, but I, I put mine under a scope. I think it's good. That's not fake. Uh-oh. Oh, there's his rutilated quartz. Look how thick that is. Yeah. Wow. Man. It's the transparency of the universe right there. Yeah, you got Rutil yeah, yeah. in there, and then the platy stuff might be Brookeye, but that's another question. Possibly, yeah. That, it's yeah. not the cleanest piece, but it's a, the, definitely the biggest piece that I have. That would be Minas Gerais, Brazil somewhere. Possibly, yeah. Yeah, I've always wanted to go to Brazil looking for minerals as well. And a Great country. Uh, 
Yes, it is. Yes. No, I'm here. I I, I I had to take my phone off the stand because I couldn't see. Optical calcite. Oh, yeah. Where is that from? That from a, a friend. That's all I know. A friend gave it to me. <laughs> I have to spiff him up on labeling. Right. That's cool. Yeah. Two more things. I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> Grab like a Herkimer diamond or something to show them up on some of these. Yeah. With the oil. So Herkimer diamond is, um, yeah, go into that box that's right in front of you. Then. Yeah, that could be that one. It's, it's two big crystals. This is a big chunk of Afghan lapis. Yep. That's a Pretty high grade piece. It looks better when it's. It is a high grade piece. A little bit of pyrite stringers in there. Yeah, I've been afraid to cut it. <laughs> Bring that in here. And That's then, it. I think. And then the last one's kind of simple, but, but uh, it's got two big crystals, and it's it's not as nice, but it's uh, it's relevant to the Permian Basin. This is some of our uh, some and I mean some gypsum. I was gonna say that's a beautiful piece. That's a Permian Basin gypsum. Cool. No, it's not for me. But it's oh. gypsum. This piece actually I've collected from central Louisiana. Ah, okay. Play around oh. with that. Oh, the focus. We're What's doing rocks at 20 paces right here. I don't think it's going to work, Troy. <laughs> what is that one? It's a Herkimer diamond. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was about to say that. Yeah. With, with oil in it. Oh, that's cool. And with the oil inclusion, that's super nice. Mm -hmm. You, you can sort of see out? what he's got there. Is, is that, you see that little like red thing there? Mm -hmm. That's pointing at the oil. Okay. So whenever you tilted it, you see the bubble move? Yeah. Yeah, it moves oh, slowly. That's, it's, that's a nice. it's a big one. All right. Uh Again, Alan, appreciate it. Let's do it again. Um, sure. Let's keep the fun going. Interpretations are what, are, is what is really needed, I think. And, and we certainly got to dive in. So that was cool.